Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you're here this week and ready to study the Bible with us. That's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes is answer your questions. That's the way this program operates is we take viewers' questions, and you'll see a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those any time to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, we get some real detailed questions about this verse and what's it mean or is this in the Bible. get a lot of life questions also about uh, something going on in someone's life, and they wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? Always happy to try to find you a Bible answer. So use the phone number or the website. Uh, we'll take your question and put it in the stack and get to it just as quickly as we can and try to get you an answer. Let's talk about who's giving the answers today. Uh, I'm Steve Tandy, by the way. This is Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. And Jeff Martin's down there. Good morning, Good morning Jeff. Steve. Glad you're all here and ready to go. Got uh, one for our viewers. We always start with the trivia question for you. So here's your question for the day. A uh, simple one. Daniel had three real good friends that went into captivity with him. Uh, who were those three friends? And we'll give you the name at the end of the program. So that's uh, your question. And now we got a few from our viewers for yeah. the panel here. And Toby's got a Weight question. Watchers question here. Well, something like that. <laughs> I think uh, the viewer wants to know, is obesity a sin? My answer to that is no, obesity is not a sin. Uh, the obesity is really a symptom, and there might be an issue there that could be related to sin, and that issue would be gluttony or the lack of self-control. Uh, thankfully, I'm very grateful that there are no BMI charts in the Bible. Uh, we don't have a certain height, weight, you know, requirement or anything like that. Uh, but we are required to be good stewards of all the blessings that God gives us. And one of the greatest blessings he gives us is our body. And it, I've heard a comparison like this. Think about <clears throat> uh, someone gave you a car and you say, you can pick any car you want. Doesn't matter what car you want pick. But the thing is, you have to drive that car for the rest of your life. Well, you'd pick the car you wanted, obviously, but you would take exceptional care of it because you knew it had to last your whole life. You'd drive it carefully. you put good fuel in it. You, you'd make sure you did all the proper maintenance and all of that. Okay, well, that's a pretty good analogy of being a good steward of your body. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we get the reason why it's so important to take care of your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. So glorify God <clears throat> in your body. Now, in the context here, he's talking. He's not talking about gluttony. He's really talking about an issue of sexual immorality. But the principle holds true. We should glorify God in our body. 
And so, no, there, obesity is not a sin. Um, people can be overweight for different reasons, but we are commanded to take care of our bodies and, and glorify God with our bodies. So I think, you know, eating right, exercising, uh, doing things that take care of your body because it has to last your whole life. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit dwells within your body, and so you should uh, take seriously the stewardship of your body. It's important to do that. Uh, it's good for you. It helps you live a blessed life. Uh, but no, specifically, obesity is not a sin. You do want to be, be mindful uh, if you have a problem with gluttony or self-control. The Bible has a lot to say about those topics. We should be people of self-control and uh, and take good care of our body. Hope that helps. All right, I got a question about do you have to be born again to go to heaven? And every once in a while we get our just real easy question, and this is one of the easiest we ever got because when we can find in the Bible where God or Jesus says so, uh, just in black and white, then that settles the question. And this one, Jesus answered himself. So let's look at uh, his answer in John chapter 3 and verse 3. He told Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Question answered. Do you have to be born again to go to heaven? Jesus said, Yep, that's the only way. Uh, so, questions answered. Now, obviously, that promotes a few more questions than Nicodemus had the first one. Uh, when Jesus said that, Nicodemus said, hold it, how do you get born again? <laughs> and he was thinking physically, and so Jesus explained to him, no, it's not physical birth. You're born from your mother once, but this is a spiritual birth. You need a new spiritual life. You've got to be born again from the Spirit. Uh, later, Paul called it being a new creature. Uh, is the being born again experience. So uh, Paul or Jesus explained that to Nicodemus, that it was a spiritual rebirth, and uh, that was his explanation. Now, that promotes the next question, is, well, how do you be born again? And that's a little more complicated because there's so many wrong answers in the world today. Men have come up with all kinds of schemes well, here's how you be born again. Uh, you just pray this prayer, or you just ask this, or you invite Jesus into your heart, or all kinds of answers in the religious world. Uh, it's not that complicated in the Bible. If you read the Bible, especially, just go through the book of Acts and look for anybody who was born again, anybody who became a new creature, who became a Christian. And you'll find a pattern there. You'll see it's very simple. Uh, they heard about Jesus when they decided to put their trust in him. Uh, they obeyed him in baptism, and then they rejoiced. And that's true of every case in the book of Acts, from the 3,000 3, on Pentecost, uh, clear up to the Apostle Paul, to Lydia, everybody you can find. That's what happened. That's how they were born again, when they were born again. So the uh, question of do you have to be born again, that's real easy. Uh, read the book of Acts, and you'll find out a lot more details about it. All right, Jeffrey, what do you got? Uh, I've got a question about <laughs> hell. So that sometimes happens. Do bad people go to hell? Uh, pretty simple question. 
uh, and, and it's, uh, it's partly true. And I think most of us, when reading that question quickly or when asking someone, the answer will be, yes, of course they do. Um, but I'll start by saying a much higher percentage of people believe in heaven than believe in hell, even in the Christian community. And there's an obvious reason for that. We like to talk about our loved ones being in paradise for eternity, being happy for eternity, and we do not like to talk about our loved ones being tormented for eternity. But if we read the Bible, um, the Bible is very clear that hell is real. So I encourage you to, to look up the verses about this concept. Uh, check it out, and, and you will be given a very clear answer. Uh, so once a, a Christian is convicted of that, the next, uh, the next question we ask is, okay, well, who goes to hell and why? And again, if I would say that hell is a place for bad people, most of us would nod our heads and, and say yes. And that is partly true. Uh, but the whole truth in this situation is, is foundational to our belief as Christians, and it's important that we answer this from the Word of God. So let's look at Revelation 20, verse 15. This is one of the many verses that we can see uh, that, that alludes or talks about hell. It says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And notice it doesn't say, if anyone was found to be bad, he was thrown in the lake of, the fire, lake of fire, which that's also true. But it says, if anyone's name was not written in the book of life. So the next question is, okay, how do we get our name written in the book of life? Uh, and those of us that are written there are people who have believed in Jesus, those of us who have repented and been baptized. And we never would have been able to do any of those things had it not been for the holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ, so the death, burial, and resurrection. So the Bible tells us also that we are all bad people, uh, all of us. Uh, there are bad people who, who do go to hell, and then there are bad people who, through the sacrifice of Christ, are cleansed of those bad things, cleansed of their sin, and go to heaven. That's the difference to look at here. Um, so you need the sacrifice of Christ to make you perfect in the eyes of God uh, so you can go to heaven. And if you do not have that sacrifice, uh, then yes, your, your sins will, will lead you to hell. Good, good answer to a complicated question. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we could probably do a whole show on that, but yeah. good answer. All right, let's take just a moment and talk about studying the Bible. Uh, we like studying the Bible with you together on this program for 30 minutes, but uh, if you've been watching us very long, you know we also talk a lot about home Bible study and you sitting down with your own Bible and uh, getting familiar with it and forming a habit of studying God's Word. Uh, we try to help some of our viewers that haven't got started in Bible study. We've got some good ways to do that, uh, some tools that we're happy to offer you. And here's the first course you'll start with if you uh, ask us to help you with this. There's eight lessons, just real basic overview of the Bible, uh, non-denominational, just uh, no creed or anything in it. It's just Bible study. And we've got some other more advanced uh, courses uh, in that they're a little more detailed and go a little longer uh, <clears throat> about certain topics. And you can study the Bible a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. If you'd like to do it online instead of uh, waiting for paper to come in the mail, uh, we've got a way to do that. Log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. 
and you'll get to ask some a few questions, get signed up, and get started studying the Bible online. So, great way to learn a little bit more about the Bible. Phone number, website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us you want that free course. It is free, absolutely free. We don't. Uh, we even pay the postage both ways. So, all you've got to do is invest a little bit of time and. Very quickly, you'll start to uh, know your Bible a little bit better. So let us let us help you with those studies. All right, Toby, what's your viewer interested in? They want to in? know about the end of the world. Does the Bible say how the world will end? The Bible answers how the world will end in a general sense, but not in a specific sense. There are lots of people who focus on the end of the world. Lots of movies have been produced. Lots of books have been written. Lots of money has been made about uh, the prediction of the end of the world, what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen. Uh, a lot of that comes from a, a doctrine that we call premillennial. It's, a, it's the idea that there's going to be a rapture and uh, Jesus is going to send up a, a earthly literal kingdom and all of this stuff. And all of that stuff is really not in the scripture. People read it into the scripture, but when you just look plainly what the scripture says, uh, there's a few things but the general principle is uh, the end is going to come. It's closer now than it's ever been. It's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to be ready for it. You're not going to be expecting it. And when it does come, you're going to know. It's going to be very clear. So um, Jesus talked about, he was asked about this in Matthew 24. And he was asked two questions. He's talking about the temple. And he was saying, look at these stones. I tell you, not one of them will be left. And he's kind of, they're saying, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the end of the age? And so Jesus is answering two questions. And so a lot of people get that confused. But when in answering that question, he says, therefore, stay awake. This is uh, verse 42 of Matthew 24. He says, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. So therefore you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So he's going to come back. We know that's true. Uh, but when he comes back, uh, he says, you're just not going to be ready for it. So you have to be ready and just know that it's going to happen. If, you, if I told you a thief was coming to break into your house sometime this week, well, you'd probably get prepared. You know, you'd put extra security uh, cameras up. You'd bolt the doors. Uh, you'd you'd uh, maybe stay awake through parts of the night or have people do it in shifts. You'd be ready, even though you didn't know when the thief was going to come. Well, that's the principle that the Bible gives us. Uh, let's look at Second Peter chapter 3. I've picked, selected a couple of verses. You can read the whole chapter uh, on your own. But Peter writes this, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. There's that analogy again. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So that's probably the best description of what it's going to be like. But when that's going to happen, we don't know. Uh, but that's how it's going to happen. And the Bible just says, be ready, because it's going to happen. Hope that helps. <laughs> All right, if you ever want to know about the angels and people here, where did the idea start of people becoming angels when they die? Uh, well, I have heard that we sometimes talk that way about 
somebody, grandma or somebody's uh, passed on and they're with the angels or they've become an angel. Uh, and I know we talk that way, but we don't get that from the Bible. In the Bible, angels are completely different beings than humans. Uh, angels were created by God uh, before he created humans, we believe. And uh, they serve a purpose. They minister to men. They worship God. Uh, angels is an interesting study, but the point is angels are different than humans. Uh, now, the Bible nowhere says that when humans uh, go to heaven, uh, they become angels. So uh, where that idea came from is what our viewer asked, and I don't know. I did a little bit of research on it and couldn't find any place where somebody dreamed that idea up. Uh, and I'm not sure it's a real prevalent idea. I think it's just the way we talk sometimes. I'm not sure anybody has a doctrine that says, okay, when a human dies, they go to heaven and they immediately become an angel. Uh, I don't know if that doctrine exists. I think it's more just a way of explaining, uh, especially to young people, to children, uh, that's a compassionate way to say it, is that... Uh, Grandma or somebody has is not with us anymore, and they've become an angel. Uh, but I'm not sure anybody believes that humans really become angels. Uh, so I don't know where the idea started. I think it's just the way we talk about it sometimes. Uh, but regardless, it's not from the Bible, and humans do not become angels. They're they're still human beings. They're just in a spiritual body. We will be when we get to heaven. All right, Jeff's got a farming question here. Yep. Uh, something that's seemingly impossible. A viewer wants to know in 1 Kings 19.19, 19, how could someone plow with 24 oxen? Uh, and to answer that question, we simply need to go to the verse, uh, but not in the King James. We need to look at another translation, so let's see if we can figure this out. In the King James Version, it says, Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. Uh, if we read that, it seems to say that he was somehow um, plowing with all of these oxen at once in front of him. Uh, in the New Living Translation, we get something a little different. It says there were twelve teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the twelfth team. So it's, it's still a little bit hard wording. And I think if we were alive at that time, we would have understood it a little bit better. If we were to understand the language in the King James, it would have made sense to us. But the idea here is that Elisha was only in control of one team of oxen. And he had servants that are mentioned in the rest of the chapter that were in control of the rest. Uh, and this was actually right when Elisha was being called by Elijah. And eventually that team of oxen that he had, uh, he slaughtered and, and they had a feast. And that started uh, his journey as a servant uh, to God and eventually a prophet of God. So it wasn't something miraculous happening there. It was just a little bit confusing because we don't, we don't really understand how things like that played out back in Bible times. Yeah. Uh, we had a class a while back on the life of Elijah. So I remember studying about this verse and uh, the comparison was that today if you see a big farm, sometimes you'll see two combines going through the field together or maybe even three if it's a really big operation. Uh, well back then if you were rich and had big fields, uh, you'd put more than one team of oxen out there. So there'd be 
two or three or 12 <laughs> teams of oxen all working together through the field. Uh, so that was evidently what was going on, and some people conclude from that that Elisha was rich. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, probably was. Had a, had yeah. a big farm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, only two oxen. Much easier than 24, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we talk about uh, visiting church every week because we're, this program is produced and uh, provided for you by Churches of Christ and supported by Churches of Christ. And we like to mention a few of our supporters each week. Uh, if you happen to live close to Agra, Kansas, or Meade, Kansas, both of those uh, smaller communities have an active group of Christians who meet as the Church of Christ and uh, help us stay on the air. So we'd like, we'd like to thank them. And if you live in one of those communities, then maybe you know somebody that is a member of the Church of Christ there. Tell them you watch the program, you appreciate it, and uh, thank them for helping us be here. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, uh, you'd certainly be warmly welcomed at either of those congregations or at any Church of Christ, whatever viewing area you're in. Uh, drop in and see them sometime and tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible. But uh, we thank Agra and Mead for their support. Toby, yep. pretty basic question yes, here. Sir. Tell us about the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> we the programs Know Your Bible, and we're going to get a question. Where did the word Bible come from, and who put the Old and New Testaments together? Okay, the word, uh, the, the answer, in, as far as the word Bible, uh, uh, etymology is the study of words, and this particular word is Biblia in the Koine Greek, which literally means scroll or books or scrolls. Um, that's how the original Bible, most of us have a book, some of us have a digital device, um, but the original texts were scrolls, and these were uh, not, it wasn't one book, but it was a compilation of books. Uh, 66 books, in fact, uh, over 40 different authors wrote those uh, over a great span of time. Well, who put those together? Well, the Old, the Old Testament, what we call the canon, is the standard. In other words, what books were accepted. And those were put together by Jewish rabbis. And they were bas basically universally agreed upon uh, the books that we have today. And as far as the New Testament, uh, that seems to be put together basically uh, by about 170 A.D. is the first um, canon that we have, and then all the books that we have in today's uh, New Testament. If you open up a, a New Testament with the 27 books in there, you're going to basically, that was mostly decided on by the Council of Hippo in about 393 A.D., and these were um, uh, groups of men very studied, very learned. They had, they were familiar with the scriptures. Uh, they, they were very familiar with languages. They were church leaders, uh, and they agreed upon them. And they had a certain set of standards by what uh, would constitute a divinely inspired uh, part of the canon. And uh, the, the standards were: was it written by an apostle, or was it written by someone with a close connection to an apostle? Um, was it pretty much universally accepted and all the churches of the area um, believe in it believe in its teachings and uh, believe that it was written by someone called by God is there a consistency of the teaching and the doctrine within those uh, within those books uh, did it uh, have high moral and spiritual values 
uh, was it accurate, um, consistent with history and consistent with church teaching and all of this. So they had some, some very rigid standards uh, through which they would go through to decide on which books were accepted. But that's where the word Bible comes from. Um, the Bible never actually calls itself the Bible. That was a, bur- a, a, a term given to it uh, by those who assembled it. And, of course, the, New Test- the, the Old Testament uh, was had long been accepted, and then as the writings of the, of the church began to grow and the writings began to increase, uh, they had to have a, a, a collection of these books together, and so that's uh, where these councils decided those things. And they assigned that name uh, from the Koine Greek, and that word simply means the books. So yeah. that's what the word Bible means, and that's where it comes from. All right, that would have been an exciting time back when they were figuring out which books were really inspired and all of that would have been very interesting. All right, Jerry's got a question about souls. When are souls created? Uh, Do they exist before conception? Well, interesting question. The Bible doesn't say. Uh, The Bible does give us one example of when a soul was created, and that's the original Uh, going all the way back to Adam. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So in this case, uh, a soul was created uh, instantaneously at God's breath, and uh, that's our only example. Now, that was a one-time Event. The Bible doesn't tell us uh, how things progressed after that. Uh, Eve was created in a little different way, the second uh, person. So we aren't told when souls are created. Uh, basically, there's two options. Uh, and our viewer mentioned one. Our viewer says, do they exist before conception? Uh, in that idea, God somehow creates souls in advance. Uh, or maybe makes all the souls that will ever exist and he's got them stored up in a warehouse somewhere and uh, when a child is conceived, the soul is put in there. Uh, The Bible doesn't say that, but that's an idea that some people have. Uh, Or maybe God creates the soul at the instant of conception and makes that baby a living soul. The Bible just doesn't say. Uh, Personally, I find it real hard to believe that God's got a bunch of souls stored up and uh, just waiting in the warehouse to be used. Uh, It just doesn't sound God-like to me, but uh, I can't prove it from the Bible. So uh, I think he probably creates souls at the instant of conception, uh, makes that baby a living soul, but I got no verse to prove it, so that's my idea. All right, let's answer our trivia question before we quit today, and it was about Daniel's three friends, and should give bonus credit on this one if you know both sets of names. Uh, we're most familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that was their Babylonian names. The three friends were actually Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their uh, Jewish names, and when they got to Babylon, the king renamed them. Uh, He also renamed Daniel. Uh, So uh, that's both sets of names. If you got all six of them, you get extra credit today.
<laughs> Glad you've been with us today to study uh, the Bible a little bit and hope we got to your question. If not, we're going to be back next week and answer some more of your questions and see if we can get to it. So hope you come back next week for more questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.